wish I perhaps hadn't spent so much of my childhood worrying about her. Um, or maybe I hadn't been so good all the time, or so scared about misbehaving. Five years ago, at the age of 27, Joe tested positive for early onset dementia, a neurological disease that affects the brain's frontal lobe, called FTD, or PICS disease. Joe is amazing company. She's quick and bright and funny, and she's someone I've known for many years, or at least I thought I did. I'm Georgina Skull, and you're listening to Regrets of the Dying. I kind of thought I'd never grow up. Not in a doomed kind of way, but I was, I was quite surprised when things change somehow, even though I know they will. I found secondary school quite difficult, I think, because I was very, had a bizarre mix of being quite innocent about things like fashion, particularly. I don't, I've never really understood fashion in the sense of why it matters so much or anything like that. And the same with music and anything that's trendy. I've never been very keen on trendy. Um, my parents were teachers, obviously, so we were in a boarding school because my mum's a housemistress. And we stayed there until, until my mum lost, lost her job because she was ill. I don't think I really had many friends so I went to university, actually. I had a few, but not really very many. But I always think I wasn't very nice to people necessarily. I wasn't very... not nice. Um, I didn't really care. I was quite happy being by myself most of the time, so that was fine. I think my brother was quite similar. And with relationships, I didn't have any until I was... I think I had my first boyfriend when I was about 24. I did genuinely feel a bit like an alien for most of my childhood and adolescence, so particularly my adolescence. So when I went to university, I thought that this was part of life that I would never experience or understand, because um, I found men totally, well, fascinating, but, often, but a lot easier to be friends with than anything else. I think mum thought I was gay for a very long time. She just found my lack of interest in guys very bizarre. And then... I think I fell madly in love with somebody during my master's year, which completely didn't work out. And I was properly heartbroken and I had a wonderful time weeping in library corners and calling my mother and complaining that life was dreadful. And for the first time in my life, I cried at a film, which I think was Slumdog Millionaire. But I literally never, I didn't really cry. Like I don't cry very often. So uh, this was the most I'd ever cried in my whole life. So I thought it was fantastic and dreadful, but I really enjoyed how dreadful it was. Uh, so that was fun. It was quite an interesting moment because it was, I think, the first time I really experienced things the way people say you're supposed to or the way people do in books and things. Um, and colours appeared in the world that I'd never seen and all this kind of thing. But I think I sort of woke up a bit, which was wonderful, actually. And then Mum got diagnosed and it all went back down again. <laughs> um, which was exactly the same, but in reverse. So, so it was fun while it lasted, um, the Technicolor world. And stuff. FTD can be random or familial, but if it's familial, if one of your parents has it, there's a 50% chance you'll have it. It doesn't skip a generation, it doesn't discriminate by gender or lifestyle, it's like flipping a coin. And again, if you have it, there's a 50% chance that your children will, which meant both Joe and her younger brother Sam are at risk. It's a disease that starts in a particular part of the brain, and where it starts will dictate how it affects you. So if it's the bit of the brain that's speech-centred, then it's your speech. If it's the bit that deals with logic or inhibition, then those are the things that will be most affected. So I was on a train and mum, I called mum or something about going home for the weekend. And she said, well, we can't because I've had to move out of the school. And I was like, yeah, right, why's that? And I knew exactly why it was. Um, 
but her behaviour had become very erratic and her, her um, deputy had left to have a baby and the new one had come in who didn't cover up the paperwork mistakes as well or didn't do the paperwork for her and it became obvious mum couldn't do it. So she was marched down to London, up to London and given a genetic test straight away. And then ever since then it's just been issues, there's just been issues continuously ever since. Well the first person who definitely had it was my grandmother. It's quite likely her father had it because describing what his symptoms were like when he was ill. He died by falling down the stairs and breaking his neck, but um, he had been drinking heavily for several years beforehand and alcohol consumption is usually quite a common symptom and his behaviour had been becoming very erratic. So, um, and it's very likely she inherited it from a parent and her mother definitely didn't have it, so uh, he probably did. And then her, of the four, six kids, the three eldest got it and the youngest, and two didn't. Um, and we were never really allowed to see my uncle, who was ill, partly because his wife did look after him pretty much single-handedly. So I just remember him being somebody that I never really met and was already locked away and there was some unspoken reason why this was, but they were not very good at talking about it. So I guess there's one, two, three, four, there's about seven of us, yeah, there's seven of us at risk of it, I guess the next lot. But then as far as I'm aware, only my brother and I got tested. Um, so you have to go to counselling, which is usually quite long, say an hour every two weeks for sometimes five years, and some people do. Um, but I did a year. And you talk about, can you articulate why you want to get tested and what do you think the result will be and how do you think this will affect you and can you imagine what it would be like if you were if you were negative and how would you feel and why is it so important to you that you know the idea basically is to tr to make you explore the theory that if you found out would you regret knowing later on and therefore should you get tested now i think only 20 percent of people do end up getting tested um so you go for one session and this is your last chance saloon do you no backing out now are you sure you want to do this and then you get sent off to the blood bank and they take the blood and two weeks later you go back and basically you just walk in and they tell you the result. They're very sort of, apparently because it was designed, genetic counselling was designed to deal with Huntington's disease, um, which is a very similar inheritance pattern, but a really awful illness. Um, and they, I think we figured out there wasn't really much way to sugarcoat it. So you just, you go, you sit, they tell you, that's it. I was maybe 27 when I got tested, actually, yes. Um, they really don't advise you to be on your own. So I had my best friend with me, well one of my best friends with me and two more at the pub <laughs> in Queen Square and we all, so we all went to the pub in the morning and I think it was about one-ish. You go and you sit down and they said, it's positive, silence. I was like, right, okay, we're leaving now and that was it. And then we went back to the pub and had a lot of drinks and then had lunch and went to the London Zoo. Um, but it was very, I am, I take bad news quite well. <laughs> um, uh, I was convinced it would be, for one thing. But also I don't, I don't think I got upset about it until about eight, eight, 18 months later. Really? Because at that point I was just more about knowing and less about what it, how, what it meant, I suppose. I thought it would be much better to believe I was, and then I wouldn't be surprised than to think 
than to hope it wouldn't be. I did spend a long time crushing hope, basically, <laughs> because I figured it would be a lot better to um, rebuild that later on, um, rather than having to deal with the disappointment of it afterwards. Definitely. I think it would have been better that way. It would have been worse otherwise. They found it very hard to persuade me that to think of a future in which I would not have it. Um, but I think my argument always was, well, if I don't have it, then I've got all the time in the world to think about it, don't I? And to figure out what my future will be. Whereas if I do have it, I have to start making some rather firm decisions in the not too distant future. And the worst thing was telling Sam. Um, and I hadn't talked about it to my, either of my parents, so <laughs> telling them was a bit tricky. But I mean, I knew that they wouldn't be particularly helpful and they weren't. My dad's never mentioned it again. And uh, mum, I think, has rather forgotten it. <laughs> I think could deliberately in her case. Um, and Sam is, is negative. I think he probably felt a lot worse about my result than I did. And I know I would have felt a lot worse if this had been a different one than I did about mine. But then we are quite, I guess, quite dependent on each other in some ways, which maybe it wouldn't always be like that with siblings. Having FTD will effectively cut Jo's life, probably by about 20 years, with the gentle death, as she puts it, gradually taking away her ability to not exactly remember things, but to remember how to do things. I wondered if Jo felt knowing has changed her. Um, I think it did, but I think I'm only realising that now. Um, I became quite desperate to do everything now, and pack my time in and became quite manic and then exhausted. One of the advantages of having positive is you don't feel guilty at all ever again <laughs> about quite a lot of things. Because um, you just think, well, bully for you. I have to deal with this. I'm not dealing with that anymore. Or words to that effect. Um, I'm quite, I don't care if I'm enjoying it now. Is it going to last? I need to know if it's going to last or it's not I'm wasting my time type thing, attitude, which I wouldn't have had before. Or I'm quite sort of like, is this a meaningful experience? <laughs> and I find it much harder to sort of relax and enjoy the moment. But then I, I think it's hard to tell because to be honest, there was an awful lot of other stuff going on, which had not a lot to do with the test result. I think if I'd had a healthier family dynamic, I might have been in a better position to say how it affected me because nothing compared to living with my dad mattered to me at all. Um, so it can be a bit hard to tell because it was something I worried about, but it wasn't like the worst thing in the world at that time. I was quite, I think we had quite a difficult upbringing in some ways because my dad was quite, um, I think the term is emotionally abusive nowadays, um, which was a problem which we didn't really know what it was at the time. So he was very um, violent in a non-physical way, very controlling, very inconsistent. And because my mum worked shifts, my dad was looking after us a lot, so we um, had quite a lot of issues with things like he would lose his temper over things one day and wouldn't notice them the next day, or he would send us to bed at six o'clock one night and then keep us up till midnight the night after that. That was quite common. Um, he would wake us up after we'd gone to bed if he thought about something he had to tell us. Um, and he would change his mind about what was acceptable behaviour every day. So it would be quite, it was quite confusing, I think, and quite tense. So in some ways I was quite glad when my parents broke up because we used to, my dad and I fought a lot. 
about things like this because I didn't really, I was, was quite pedantic and I don't think I really cared. I, I just didn't really care about him losing his temper, so I was just like, but why do we have to go to bed now? And yesterday we didn't have this, and why da 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 da, and I, I would argue with him a lot, which he found quite irritating. <laughs> um, but he was quite terrifying, I think. My brother would do things like, um, he would be sent off to get a haircut on a Sunday when everything was shut and wouldn't come home for two hours because he couldn't, he was too scared to come back. And then when he did come back, my, my dad had forgotten about it. No, I mean, he'd adored us. Um, and then he would forget it for, for 20 minutes if we were annoying. And then he would remember again and it was though nothing had happened. But then to us, of course, it was like trauma. And, and now if you talked about him, when we try and talk to him about it, it's like it never happened. I mean, it was a quite weird experience actually because you feel like you made it up except we were both my brother and I were both there and we, t we tend to remember it so um yeah but no one else really noticed it's quiet I really can't stand being shouted at like I might have to discipline people um I was like just don't shout at me because I really can't cope so I think I've become Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba became quite disassociative as a teenager particularly. I didn't really, genuinely didn't care about anything. Um, I kind of always felt like I had to protect mum somehow. Um, which I always have felt as though she couldn't have handled it or something, because she'd adored dad so much. It was, and I've always felt slightly like that. Um, and there was a kind of, mum is very good at and I'm not sure if she does this consciously or not, but she's very good at making people look after her. Um, she has this air of complete benign helplessness, which now is quite genuine, but in, in the old days, I think she, she found it quite a useful way to get people to do things for her. Um, and because mum's so nice and lovely and kind and remembers when people have done things for her and buys them cake every year, and she's very good, she's very good at um, cultivating loyalty, I think. She would make a great sort of potentate's wife kind of person. <laughs> um, so there was just no way I'd ever tell her. Um, and he, she never really saw it. And she'd say things like, I do find it odd how you always annoy your father. I was like, well, it's remarkably easy. <laughs> um, I think once she, we were on holiday and I wouldn't eat something because I, I didn't like egg and I wouldn't eat the egg. Um, and he was, he lost it. And she was like, well, I think, and he, she was a bit sort of, I think you're overreacting and he sulked all day <laughs> and that was the only time I think she ever did anything. I think I used to think she was generally vulnerable and now I think she did it on purpose. Because um, it's more obvious now that she's less able to conceal the workings of it. She is quite almost deliberate. You can see the cogs whirling around when she's working out who she wants to talk to about something because she knows she can get around them and she knows she can persuade this person. So if I tell her to talk to person X, she'll think quite almost out loud, person X will agree with Joe, so I will talk to person Y who won't. And she does. You can predict her behavior because there's certain people, friends of hers who 
don't think she's as, sometimes don't think she's ill. It took years to persuade them that she was because her behaviour to them seemed so normal. I think it wasn't until she got diagnosed that I began to realise how much trouble she would have saved herself and us if she'd actually done something earlier because we were going through the house we were finding all these paperwork from all the um, research visits, support group meetings she'd gone to, things saying things like preparing yourself for the development of this illness, what kind of steps can you put in place beforehand to take the burden off your carers and relatives? And like, yes mum, taking the burden off your carers and relatives, did this not ring a chord with you at the time? Especially considering that it was your children who would be doing this and not your wasteful husband. Um, and she didn't do anything, and she didn't do anything, and she didn't do anything, and she could have done so much, which would really have helped like sorting out the powers of attorney when she could have done it for free really quickly um, or buying a house that would have been really useful so saddling me with a mortgage because I had to buy the house <laughs> yeah I think I do feel that life is very I'm a lot more uh, furious with the universe than I ever was before because I never used to believe life was unfair but there are times like was fair fairness is a I think a concept we use to comfort ourselves but um I do sometimes think, like, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world if not literally everything like this had happened to me, I do, which is a bit childish, but I do feel that sometimes. <laughs> like, cursed. I feel cursed quite often. But then I'm one of those people, like, it would only take one good thing to happen and immediately I'm the luckiest person ever. So uh, we'll just have to wait for something <laughs> to turn up. Um, I don't think I've ever really had a vision of what my future would be. And therefore, I tend, again, tend to see it more like but I can't have, um, which is quite depressing because I can just make it go on forever, all the things I can't have. <laughs> um, kids is the most obvious one. I could never have one on my own. It's absolutely, it could never happen because who would look after them? I don't think I was so keen on being in a relationship either beforehand, um, whereas now I'm, I think I always figured I would meet someone in my 40s and. I would be one of those late developers, because I am quite a late developer. And now that's not an option. All I ever wanted to do was go to university and leave home. <laughs> um, and, or, I think it was often quite negative things that defined what I wanted to be like. I didn't want to be like my parents. I didn't, or I didn't want to be um, like, I didn't want to do what other people wanted me to do. Joe studied history at university, then worked as an archivist for the British Council, a job she loved. But with her family commitments outside of London, she decided to make a career change to something a little less city-based. She became a teacher, just like her parents. I think teaching was a sort of, well, I can't be an archivist, so what else can I do? And I quite enjoy teaching, it has to be said, but it wasn't something that sprung up upon me. I felt a bit like it had stalked me my whole life and inevitably I succumbed to it. But yeah, it's fine. It's... Well, it actually is, it's wonderful. The kids are fantastic. So much of Jo's world has changed since her diagnosis. She knows her life will be shorter than most. She knows that every decision she makes is now coloured and informed by her positive result. Dating, marriage, kids work, finances. I find it hard to imagine functioning day to day without this knowledge overshadowing everything. I asked, 
if she ever regretted being tested. No, definitely not. I think I would feel exactly the same if I hadn't been tested, because I'd just be worried. I'd feel like I would have to assume that I was in order to be sensible, and therefore it would be the same effect. The nitty-gritty of it is distracting. Do you become more aware of like, what progress have I made in the last six months? What progress have I made this year? Which I guess is a bit like I come here at ticking down and I really need to account for how well I've spent the time or something like that. Um, but then it's difficult because I really have no idea where I'll be. I think in some ways it limits me in the sense that I, fortunately I was never a particularly ambitious person. But things like I wouldn't go for really senior roles, for example. Never, never, never. Because if, it went, if I became ill in that position, it would be so much harder to do anything about it because I wouldn't necessarily be... Because my ability to make decisions, for example, would be quite important. And then I wouldn't be able to make them anymore. Or I would, my ability to make them would be... poor. <laughs> um, and I think I'd rather spend my time avoiding stressful decision-making and enjoying what I was actually doing. I, I do regret things like I didn't master organisational skills when I was at school because it would really help now. You know, all of this, if I'd known how important it was to be punctual or able to pack a bag without forgetting your keys and all of that kind of thing, I might have tried a bit harder. I regret things like I'm a terrible procrastinator and I really, really wish that I wasn't. I regret things which hold me back from doing better rather than things that I've done before. Because once it's gone, there's not really much you can do about it. Um, and I also don't think that I'm responsible for a lot of things that have happened to me. So, therefore, I shouldn't really regret them. I don't know. And I wish I'd been a bit more... Well, actually, I don't. But I would, I, it would have been helpful if perhaps I'd been a bit pushier about Sam when I was younger. But it wasn't my responsibility. So I can't really blame myself for that. Because he had had depression since he was probably about, well, probably about 14. Um, and quite severe depression, which my parents had not dealt with and not dealt with and not dealt with. But I always would just tell them, you know, Sam's got depression, you should deal with this. Bye, I'm going back to uni now. Um, and then when mum became ill, it was obvious that I was going to have to be the one to deal with it. Um, it's quite a difficult, especially when you have somebody who's been depressed since he was a teenager and no one gave a damn for 10 years. Um, it's quite a long way to come back from that. Which doesn't help with my parents because I get quite angry with mum for her complete failure to look after him when she was capable of it. I wish I perhaps hadn't spent so much of my childhood worrying about her. I wish I behaved a lot worse. I'm like, good God. I really wish like, I got drunk when I was 14 in, in a churchyard with a load of other people. Or, um, I don't know if I really do. But it would have been a lot more fun to have got that bit out of the way first. Um, and maybe I hadn't been so good all the time, or so scared about misbehaving. I was also scared of being bad. And I think perhaps I should have been a little bit more relaxed about it, but I think in reality I wouldn't have done it any differently. Once people start showing signs of having FTD, they can live for up to 10 years, with symptoms getting increasingly hard to live with. Gradually they forget how to sit, how to stand, how to walk, how to swallow. Knowing what probably lies ahead, I wondered how Joe felt about death. 
and also how she imagined the end. I never been particularly afraid of dying in, in an abstract sense. Obviously the actual, I think I might change my mind if it actually happened. Um, but it always seems to be it's a silly thing to worry about because everyone dies. Ultimately it's, 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 it's awful obviously. But to know that someone's dying and know that you're saying goodbye to them is probably better than them vanishing from your life unexpectedly. Possibly not the build-up, obviously, but um, the psychological after-effect is probably better that way around. I think I always assumed I would be aware I was dying, perhaps. I used to, in a sort of slightly ghoulish way, rather enjoy the... I think I would almost enjoy the sensation of knowing I was dying, if I was in my right mind, obviously. But obviously I don't think I will be, and I think I won't know what's going on. And I won't know what's going on for quite a long time, possibly. So it does rather take the fun out of it. Because I've always been quite fascinated by the idea of dying and the, how life stops and, yeah, how you prepare for dying. And I think I won't, I won't be able to, which irritates me. Um, I'd much rather know. Because I, really, I never wanted to die quickly, ever. I'd much rather die of something and know it was happening and be able to come to terms with it and stuff, I think. Which may be partly because I've never actually had anyone die of cancer in my, in my immediate circle. I've never had to know what that was actually like for them. So perhaps I have a rather weird, wrong idea of what it's like. But I don't know that I have a very focused belief in the afterlife. I don't believe in a sort of the rolling fields and the bodily resurrection or anything. I think it's more likely that you either have a sort of spiritual experience or maybe nothing. I don't know. Um, I think God can sort that bit out. <laughs> I'm worried about the here and now. <laughs> um, I spent a long time trying to plan the music for my funeral. Purcell, hear my prayer, O Lord, because it's the most depressing piece of music I've ever heard in my life. Everyone would be sobbing. And then I'd follow up with Paul Simon, uh, me and Julio down by the schoolyard, because it's the happiest piece of music in the world. You've been listening to Regrets of the Dying. If you've liked this programme, then please subscribe and rate it on iTunes or the Acast app. The more positive reviews we get, the easier it will be for other people to find us. Next time. I'm going to miss you so, so much. And you're going to miss me. But you have all our memories and pictures and everything. And I love you. Just don't forget that. This was a proper podcast with support from Acast. Goodbye, and thanks for joining me. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.